the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast. It's a podcast camped squarely at the crossroads of geek culture and Christian faith. I'm James, and with me, as always, are my friends Mike and Brian. Mike, how are you doing today, my friend? I am doing pretty darn well. How are you doing, Brian? I'm great. How about James? Ooh. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm happy to be recording with you guys. I've had a fun couple of weekends, and so I'm I'm excited to talk about them, especially last weekend in particular. So, I mean, unless anyone has anything else they want to talk about, any news they want to give, I say let's get the geek out. Go for it. Let's do it. Okay. So, first off, there have been a couple of TV shows that have come out in the past few weeks that I was really excited about, and I was looking forward to talking about them on the show. And then they aired, and my enthusiasm began to wane. Let's just say that the second season of Star Trek Picard and the first season of Halo have not been what I had hoped that they would be. Oh. Both have been a little disappointing for many reasons. But instead of coming on and talking about why they disappointed me, I'd like to talk about a TV show that I really had not been paying attention to and which has been delightful to watch, and I have so enjoyed, and that's the new Marvel TV show, Moon Knight. See, I thought that you were going to say, rather than tell you why they are disappointing, I am just going to elaborate for 45 minutes that they are disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to tell you guys why they stink. I'm going to sing it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I've seen only the first episode of the new season of Picard, so I'll I'll catch up to you. We'll we'll talk later. Yeah, we'll like, talk I later. I haven't seen any of it at all. I enjoyed that episode. So maybe. I enjoyed that episode too. I mean, when I heard that John Delancey was returning as Q, I was so hyped. But they've included some of my absolute least favorite tropes into the season, and I also uh... feel like that they're trying to pack. Like, how long is a typical season of like Star Trek: The Next Generation? Twenty six episodes, thirty <laughs> episodes. They have seasons? I don't know. I just watch it all on loop. How how many, Brian? (laughs) 24, typically. It's like they're trying to pack 24 episodes worth of character development and character drama into a eight-episode miniseries. Fair. (laughs) Well, if they're trying to pack 24 episodes of next-generation character development, that takes 20 minutes. Yeah, that can can fit easily. You're not (laughs) wrong there. You're not wrong. Okay. But But anyway. You you came here to talk about Moon Knight. I came here exactly. So have have either one of you two seen any episodes yet? Uh, yeah, I'm current on it. I ordered a full color, like pre-painted mini, and I was so disappointed that it wasn't painted. It was just white. So I, I don't know. I was so angry about that. I, I was just off the show. That's his way of saying, I now have a purple moon night because my daughter got a hold of it. <laughs> He's another Marvel character of which I really knew nothing about. As most people out there probably know nothing about him, he's one of the more obscure ones. When I saw that they were making a uh, Disney Plus TV show about him, I thought, I don't know. It stars Oscar Isaac. And I'm back in. (laughs) It's like everything I know about Moon Knight comes from Min Max. And, you know, once you said Oscar Isaac, like, "Ah, there you go. Yep. That explains much. 
when I first they first started talking about it, I, I asked somebody, well, what's this this Moon Knight character? And they said, oh, well, it's just like Marvel's version of Batman. I start watching the show. I'm like, how in what he has a cape? <laughs> and he how jumped, is this Batman? He, he jumps from one building to the other in the night. That's about yeah, it. That's that's, that's it. <laughs> well, he's he a punches ther- things wait, a lot. Wait, that's, he's that's a about the most Batman there is. He's a therapist. Bruce Wayne needs a therapist. I think that. <laughs> wait, he is a therapist, right? No, no, Darn. He's, he's quite a loon. Yeah. Okay, so no, they both need a therapist. Okay, fine. Yeah, they both definitely need a therapist. Yes. See, I know, James. You tell us about the show because clearly I know nothing. I really don't want to say too much about Moon Knight because up until watching the show, I knew very little about it, and I decided to not really like jump into the Wikipedia because I I like finding out about the character and his lore from the show. That's how much mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it. I've also really enjoyed Oscar Isaac. I mean, I thought he was okay as Poe in Star Wars. I really, really enjoyed his portrayal of Leto Atreides in Dune. Yep. There's been some moments I'm like, okay, I'm not saying that this show deserves an Emmy, but I think y'all need to start paying more attention to Oscar Isaac's versatility (laughs) because he is very, very good portraying a man who not only is having an up-close encounter with the supernatural, but also a man who has a mental disorder. And it is not a mental disorder caused by the supernatural. It's one that he had to begin with, and the supernatural is kind of taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. But the, the acting, effects, the cinematography have all been top-notch. I mean, Marvel has continued to up their game. I think the first series they came out with was was Wanda Vision. Well, that was the first one on Disney Plus, but okay. I mean, they've been making TV shows since Agents of Shield. That's true. I, I guess I'm considering like the uh, the Disney Plus series. Yeah, under uh, new management. <laughs> so we have Wanda Vision, Loki, Falcon Hawkeye. and Winter Soldier, oh, Hawkeye. Yeah, which every single new one that's come out, I'm like, I have a new favorite. Well, now I have another new favorite. <laughs> that one was okay. This one, to me, has been the best. They've reached a new high bar. And a big part of that is due to Oscar Isaacs. He's, he's been absolutely great. Um, Brian, what do you think? Give your thoughts on it, my man. I think I have finally reached a place where I'm just, I'm tired of Marvel movies. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think I was going to get there. It's it's really, really good. And the fact that it's extremely good, it's well acted and technically superior. And I'm just like, eh, makes me think I might just be oversaturated on it at this point. Which is fair. I did go to the $5 theater to see Morbius. Mm-hmm. I skipped that one. Yeah, you made the right choice. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, it is very good. And I'm really enjoying um, Isaac's performance um i'm i don't find myself terribly and maybe the problem is uh when i was in school like way back in elementary junior high high school i changed schools at just the wrong time and then the school changes curriculum at just the wrong time so i wound up with egyptian mythology and history three years in a row and I was like, I okay. do not want to learn about Egypt anymore for the rest of my life. <laughs> that could <laughs> definitely so maybe that's color your perception of the show. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm just like, I'm not really into the mythology on this one. Uh, I don't really care about 
See, I, I don't care so much that I can't even remember the god's name. The moon god, whatever his name is. Like, eh, I don't care. <laughs> I... But uh, the performance has been has been really good. I, I actually really did get invested in the most recent episode because it's doing the thing that uh, Marvel shows have always been doing where you get four or five episodes and then you get kind of a, and this is what happened in the past that made all of this happen. And so it was that episode. It's yeah. Like, okay. Finally, we're getting some, some more insight on this guy. And I, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. Um, I could care less about who he's kicking and you know, the, the bad guy's like, meh, well, he's got long hair. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing a great job, but <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. That's, that's absolutely understandable. But of the new TV shows that have come out recently, it has by far been my favorite. A little bit of To the Future. I'm, I'm almost wishing that we had been able to put this off another week because Picard wraps up. And later this week, the first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds comes out Mm. with uh, Captain Pike, Spock, and the early adventures of the Enterprise. And from all accounts, it is the best new Trek that we have seen yet and very much captures the, the feel of the Trek of our younger days. Oh, if only we so, could have an episode about us talking about capturing the feel of our younger days. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, okay, we'll I guess we'll talk about that later. Okay, see you guys. <laughs> uh, but moving on from Moon Knight, Joy and I got a chance to have kind of like a double date with some good friends uh, not long ago. Uh, family watched the kids. And so we're like, you know what? If they're going to do that, let's go. Let's not just do dinner. Let's go do something fun. And they said, hey, do you guys want to go do an escape room? And oh my I said, hey, do you guys want to go do a virtual reality experience? And we all said, let's do both. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, we had one night where it was <laughs> – it's like something I would have done like way back in the day. It's like we haven't had a night like this in a long time. The first thing that we did was we made an appointment with a place called Zero Latency VR Experience. It is a free roaming virtual reality game where they put you in a large room. They outfit you with like a backpack, which has a computer connected to a gun, a VR headset and headphones and a mic. And you are in the game. It's a first person shooter type of experience. And the games that they put you in are there is a zombie one, robot one, alien, and then a game based in Far Cry 3 which I have never played before, but has gotten some really good reviews. Basically, you're on a tropical island, having been kidnapped by modern-day pirates, and you're trying to get out. That sounds amazing. So it's a full 360 environment, and you're walking from one area to the next, bad guys all around you. You see your teammates, or at least their game avatars, and it's intense. It's only a half-hour experience. But by the time it was done, I was smiling. I was drenched in sweat, and I was ready to jump right back in. So you didn't have any eye problems from it? That was my worry, but thankfully, no. I mean, the forced perspective with like the VR headset, the only issue I had was because I was going at it so hard. Sometimes the inside of my lenses would fog up. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'd, I'd have to like put my gun down and reach inside with my finger and try to wipe him clean. 
<laughs> so this was not an augmented reality. This is full VR. And, yeah. and I'm assuming you're not bumping into walls because they have virtual walls where the walls are? Once you get close to the actual wall, it will be presented in your world by kind of a a wall of dots, of semi-transparent okay. dots. Yeah. So you can still see through them into the virtual world, but you see, okay, there's the edge. There's the holodeck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. I gotcha. And I presume you're, are you in the same like physical space as the other players, or do they have you separated? In oh, no, no. We're right beside each other. But, That's interesting. But the avatars any, are there, any, so you don't run into anytime them, Anytime right? we would begin to get too close to I mean, I could, if I turned, I could see them. Their in-game character, see where they're pointing at, where they're facing. And, of course, we could hear and talk to each other through the mics and headphones. But anytime we, like, if I was backing up and I started to get too close, I would get a, a little sensor alarm in my headphones. And as oh I got closer to them, it would get louder, kind of like a proximity alarm. Let me know, hey, so you're, you're right next to somebody. And sometimes that would get really annoying. <laughs> well, I imagine it's supposed to so that you stop doing that. Well, if like two people are trying to take cover behind the same wall and you're just trying to survive, trying not to get shot, and here's woo, woo, woo in your ear, it <laughs> doesn't help. <laughs> okay, so how much did this, this half hour experience cost? I mean, this sounds really interesting. It was 50 bucks a person. I mean... For full VR, that's kind of what I expected. It was completely worth it. And of course, as, you, as you're shooting the, the enemy, uh, some of the environment is destructible. Like I noticed that there was an orange barrel close to where a bunch of them were gathered. I'm like, huh, if video games has taught me anything. <laughs> I should shoot that. <laughs> I should shoot that. <laughs> and I did, and it blew up. And James was gleeful. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, shoot, now I must shoot all the barrels. And at one point halfway through the game, we walked to an area, like a little pause area, and we saw a table and a bunch of like TVs were piled on top of it. And a different TV had our character name and also our score. There was a group of eight of us. Four of us, like me, Joy, and our friends were on one side of the room. The other four people were on the other side. And at one point, I was still kind of like, you know, get my bearings. And I was also having some microphone trouble, which was kind of annoying. But I looked at the screen and I saw... I am in sixth place. Okay. Yeah. That's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. That ain't happening. And then James got serious. Long story short, I came in first by the end of that game. Sixth place. <laughs> you haven't even seen my final form. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, boys, cue the Latin choir. <laughs> but one thing I enjoyed was that they did email me all of my specs like how i did in the game mm -hmm. and uh, like how many enemies i killed my score uh, how many headshots uh, how many tigers i shot and uh, how many things that weren't enemies that i shot uh <laughs> which joy came in first in that and Joy the, shot James 6,787 times she had in to 30 reach, minutes. She went through so much ammo. We did hear, he said, guys, you can shoot the butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the end of it, I was like, how many butterflies did you friends. shoot, dear? She was like, hey, look, I had a different set of victory conditions than the game told me I did. <laughs> Um, now, the first thing it reminded me of when I went into it was, of course, VR was thinking it wasn't even VR, but was thinking back to a long time ago, Brian and I went to a 
Battletech simulator type thing at a mm-hmm. mall in Indianapolis. And I mean, back then, this was, of course, back in the 90s. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. We've reached a whole new level. I mean, Mike, I know you've had VR experience. It made me think of that. And they told me that they're still trying to like upgrade the gentleman who we were talking to afterwards. This is we're trying to like take it to the next level even now, you know, make it so that the back basically you have like a really thick computer in the backpack. It's about 20 pounds. Now, because it's in a suspension rig and it's on your shoulders, it's not that bad. I will say that after half an hour, you do start to feel it. So to make the computer lighter and to make it so it's more of like a haptic experience. So like if you get hit, you feel that hit. Interesting. I was like, that's really fascinating. I don't know if I like that because at one point I saw flames behind me and there was a dude standing behind me with a flamethrower. Don't know how much of that I actually want to feel. (laughs) Well, you know, if it's a Samsung computer. (laughs) It might actually kill me. Oh, shots fired. (laughs) Local man dies in VR experience was being, you know, lit up by in-game character with a flamethrower, which actually caused the CPU in his backpack to overheat and explode. Friends heard him yell, ow, I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm on fire. And they all said, we just thought he was being dramatic and in-game and, you know, trying to be a part of the experience. (laughs) Oh, this whole thing is making me think that this is a a whole new avenue for entertainment because, you know, you were saying, why don't we go to an escape room? Why don't we do VR? I mean, it sounds like they have the opportunity if they wanted to tweak their game mechanics to do both because Mm -hmm. escape rooms, you're limited by what can you actually do in the room. Like you can't, you know, pull something out and rewire a lock. But if you do that in a VR experience, that's safe and cool. So it sounds like there's there's all manner of new possible games in this sort of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we did the Far Cry 3 experience. Was really hoping to get the zombie experience. But after having, I'm glad that I got the Far Cry 3 one first. Because most of that was shooting guys at a distance. But there was one point where we've walked into this underground temple and suddenly we're not shooting at things far away. There are these ghost creatures rushing right at us. And I about peed myself. (laughs) I was going to ask that very question. Because my mind was set to shooting things far away. I saw something in the corner of my vision. I turned to it. I turned back and there was something coming right at me, like full sprint. And I'm like pushing knee jerk reaction, pushing the gun in front of me, like kicking. And I'm like, ah, 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 ah. and I'm like, oh, no, wait, don't hit shoot. But still, <laughs> it was very sudden and shocking. I'm like, OK, that's what would happen in the zombie game. And then they would have had to clean the floor. <laughs> So uh, we're definitely going to go back and do it again. Is it a little pricey? Yeah, but it's some of the most fun I've ever had. I mean, it beats the socks off of old school Laser Quest. Mm. Laser Quest was cheaper, but nowhere near as this much fun. And like I said, we were ready to just turn right around and do that again. But we had also had an appointment to go do an escape room. And, uh, there was there's a company called Red Door Escape Rooms, which is they've got places everywhere. And Joy had done one with work. Our friends have done a couple. This was my first experience with them. And so we're looking at what we've signed up for. And it was a room called Confinement. I'm like, OK, that sounds cool. And I thought, like, you know, we've been locked up somewhere, something like maybe a prison theme or like uh, for a medical reason. I, I read the 
description that's on the board. Confinement. Your heart's the only sound that's heard in these eerie walls. In this thriller, your team will uncover the mystery that Scarlet holds deep inside of her heart. And I look at my friends, I'm like, what have you signed me up for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like not your jam. No, it's not my jam at all. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It's fine. It's all right. It's a, I'm just going to deal with it. The young lady comes, and um, I'm slightly worried when she makes me you know, sign a waiver against heart attacks and things like that. And but, being yourself. Yes. So we, we go to the back, and as we're walking in the back hallway, she goes, so just out of curiosity, what level of horror do you guys like? And our friend Karina is like, 10. And I'm like, um, I like a... I like a good, high, solid four. Do you? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm like a wimpy two. Like, if it's not your thing, like, you know, it's, it's not your horror thing. Horror has never fine. been my jam. It right. has never been my jam. Scarier episodes of old school Doctor Who. That's about my level right there. So, you know, the weeping angels, that's, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's how we define the limits. That's fine. Exactly. Yes. So how'd it go? <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Good. Without giving anything away, because just like spoiling a TV show or a movie, I also believe in not spoiling an experience. Because mm -hmm. there might be people out there who go to a room like this, so I'm not going to give anything away. But unlocking puzzles in one room can lead to unlocking puzzles in the next room. And sometimes things in the first room have to be used to figure out what to do in the second. It all revolves around a central story, and it is very easy to get immersed into it. And the 60 minutes that you have in these rooms goes by frighteningly quick. I will say at one point, we're in one room and someone at what I thought was a prop door starts banging on it hard and yelling. Oh, my gosh. So it was like, okay, that was very jarring. Not experienced because we're focused. We're focused on the room, the clues, the story that's being told and trying to take in every single detail that we can. Let me tell you, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance going from shooting virtual pirates to trying to figure out the life of this poor girl who's been trapped in a room and how to get myself out. Yeah. And all the time that was between them was the drive and stopping at Chick-fil-A for some quick food. So I'm like, okay, let's switch mental gears here. And then towards the end, we think that we're in the final room. We're trying to put a puzzle together. And as we're, all four of us are working hard on this, from the other side of another door, someone, some girl, lets out this blood-curdling scream. She screamed. Joy screamed. Karina screamed. <laughs> there was a moment of pause. And, and James, James just about passed out as well. James just about hit the floor. But uh, it was very well done. And all I'm thinking is, good job. Yeah, Karina. Yeah. Hey, Tin Whore. Yeah. Woo. All right. <laughs> but it it was a great experience uh we got through the room with 17 minutes to spare nice yeah yeah i absolutely would do it again um not that room obviously because <laughs> i've already done it but they have various different themes like there is the once upon a time which is kind of a fantasy one they have a prison break and 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 more and they they are always changing the rooms uh, and the themes to to new stories new designs and i like that they keep it fresh we enjoyed it so much, we also bought a gift. They say, hey, if you buy a gift card for another session, you get like a certain percentage off. I'm like, do it. Not crazy about the horror thing, but other rooms, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that again. 
So a great night, uh, two great new experiences, both of which I'm hoping to do again soon. They were so much fun. Like my family actually went to the local Renaissance Festival yesterday, and I don't even want to talk about that because I had just <laughs> I had so much fun at the other two things. That is that is high praise. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully we'll go do them again sometime soon, and I'll talk about it again sometime soon. And uh, I've gone on for way too long with my stuff, so uh, let's get to one of you guys, uh, Brian. What have you been geeking out to? Well, after hearing all of that, I'm kind of surprised. I remembered, hey, wait, I went to Disneyland like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should talk about that. Nah, I mean, there's really nothing there for you. I mean, there's some teacups, a Dumbo ride. And if you sing It's a Small World one time, I am shutting this podcast out. I'm turning, oh. it, turning it right around. Very, very fortunately, It's a Small World was broken down. So I was not subjected to that. But they did have the, uh, the Star Wars stuff uh, rise of the resistance oh, yes okay oh. i'm man enough to admit when i'm jealous That's, <laughs> i've i've wanted to do that ever since it got announced yeah it was a it was a really really well done experience um and i, I won't give away any of it because obviously people will go to disneyland and they'll want to enjoy it for themselves but it's one of those things we, we paid the extra to get the the what do they call it lightning lane so that you don't have to wait in a really long line mm-hmm and so we're, we're getting there and they've got us all lined up and we've gone through like the, the introduction to the ride and we're just about to start the actual thing. And they come out and say, ah, oh, it broke down. Ah, oh, well, okay. So we, they, they gave us a voucher to come back later. Um, and we, we leave and we did the, uh, the Millennium Falcon ride immediately after, which was also cool because you've actually like got stuff to do. There's two people are pilots and two people are gunners and then two people are like the operating the the tractor beam oh my gosh cool. that, was a lot of fun. that sounds like a dream come which, true for me which did you get to do <laughs> uh i was on the tractor tractor beam duty and engineering and it, it's got this thing where all these 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 buttons and switches light up and you've got to you've got to switch the ones that are that are lit up so you get this experience of oh, i'm gonna flip the switches and, and push these buttons and they're not actually doing anything just like you know on the set they're not actually doing anything but you still get that that tactile hey, experience, I'm a, yeah. I'm an engineer on the on the Millennium Falcon. I'm, I'm being useful. <laughs> now, if you had said that you waited in line to go on the Millennium Falcon experience and it broke down, I'd be like, wow, it's like you're really in Star Wars. The Falcon broke down. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we got done with that, and we were, we were starting to walk over to something else, and they uh, the notification came on uh, Yolanda's phone that the uh, – Rise of the Resistance was back up. We're like, so do we go back immediately? Like, yeah, we'll we'll do it now. And uh, I was kind of glad actually that it broke down the first time because there's a there's a section of it right near the end where you actually come outside the building and you're you're in open air. And when we did that, the sun was at just the right angle to be casting these god rays through a tree. Oh my gosh! It's like, oh wow, this is super cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wow, the effects on this are amazing. Who did the lighting here? Like, exactly. No way. <laughs> That's a uh, a professional hazard that, as I'm going through all of these uh, these rides, I'm analyzing the the production and figuring out how they did stuff. They did had some really cool things in that on the technical side, where a lot of it is uh, screens, you know, because they aren't going to have like live actors doing this every ten minutes. They do have some of that. When Kylo Ren appears, he's he's a pre-recorded he's on a screen 
but they did it with uh, glasses free uh, stereoscopic. So you're actually oh. getting some sense of, of 3D depth in it. That was pretty cool. I'm imagining Brian on the ride explaining some of this that's happening and the technologies that's being used. And this six-year-old sitting right beside him looking at him with a really angry frown. <laughs> oh, there were people getting the really angry frown because there were some real jerks in our group that were just kind of mocking the experience the entire time. It's like, I am trying to like be in this experience and you guys are totally wrecking it. I don't why, understand that. Why do you come to something immersive? Yeah, and it's not a cheap thing to do. Why pay the money and just make fun of it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if uh, they had gotten free tickets to, I don't know, a Billy Joel concert, just sit quietly in the back and make mocking comments to your friends in the back. But, you know, don't bother actually the people who paid to get there. I'm not talking about me. Never mind. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it had been something like The Mummy 2. Yeah. Or Godzilla 2000. Uh, actually, uh, James and Joy and I went to see the mummy too. And Joy and I were having a great time doing the MST3K thing because we thought it was ridiculous. And James was just getting mad at us. <laughs> okay. Now that is an experience I, I would pay to see. I maintain <laughs> Brendan Fraser is a treasure <laughs> and should be treated as such. Oh my gosh. That's the next national treasure movie. Yes. We have to do this. <laughs> we're going to kidnap Brendan Fraser. <laughs> we're going to save Brendan Fraser from... I don't know. We'll, we'll workshop this. I don't yeah, know. yeah. We'll get it figured out. Yeah. Have Nick Cage and Brendan Fraser ever been in the same movie? I <laughs> They're mean, gonna be alone. now. <laughs> so You're was... welcome, Hollywood. <laughs> get onto this a, after Sherlock show. Right. <laughs> Man, I I would see that movie too. Even even being tired of superhero movies, <laughs> I want to see uh, Detective Chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I? We didn't get to do Indiana Jones, unfortunately, because it was broken. I was going to ask, you did the rides, but did you go to the restaurant or did you? Um... Uh, we went through the uh, Star Wars themed restaurant, but we just got stuff to drink because it wasn't lunchtime. Did you? And at least, we had. Did you make a lightsaber? I was tempted, but the, with the COVID uh, restrictions right now, you don't actually get to make your own lightsaber. You designate the parts that you want and then a cast member assembles it behind the, the counter. Oh, if it had been, I actually get to assemble the thing, I would have done that, uh, even mm-hmm. though it was really expensive. But it's like, just to have somebody else make it and I have this this cool lightsaber, eh. No, you, want plus the, you want the experience uh, with it, man. I agree. And plus, that particular shop was not laid out very well. And it was one of those places where there's like there's like a lot of space in the middle. And people are walking in every different direction. And you know how I get with crowds. So I'm like, hugging the wall and Yolanda keeps trying to bring me up to the counter. I'm just like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that because I'm kind of freaking out in this, in this shop right now. When everybody's walking kind of the same direction as you get like out on the, the sidewalks, you know, you've got people on the right going one direction, people on the left going the other direction. That's fine. When everybody, it's like a pinball machine in there. And that freaks me out. Yeah, no, fair. I was tempted to buy a, uh, a holocron. Because it had those there. Those were pretty cool. If they had been like metal, I'd have gone for it, but they were they were plastic. Oh. Gotcha. How much were the lightsabers? Just out of curiosity. Um I did not price one because I didn't intend to buy one, but I think they range from like uh 180 to, to 300 dollars Tapping out. But it's actually like a, a solid that is metal and it feels it's got the weight to it of a you feel like it's an actual lightsaber. 
and it's got a a thing in it that'll it'll light up a a tube. It's got the kyber crystal inside. Okay, so this is not a half measure. Then this is not just this is not just oh I'll hang this on my belt and pretend that I have a lightsaber. It's this right. thing will a... emit emit light, and I can pretend that I have a lightsaber. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you're, it looks like a it it looks and feels like an actual movie prop. I mean, it's got some some presence to it. So yeah, it's. I don't think that they could sell them for much less than that and have it be. You know, of course, it's Disneyland, so it is marked up. Um, but I think for what it is, it's a, it's a pretty decent value, but it's just not like, I'm not really into having knickknacks. So <laughs> if I were doing a, a Jedi cosplay at some point, then I might go for it, but well, you got to start will... somewhere on that cosplay. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but I will use that to segue into a cosplay I am doing. <gasps> My brother is getting married in, uh, October, you know, on, on Halloween. He's having a Halloween wedding. See, so he you wants, do need a Jedi cosplay. Well, he, he wants people to come in costume, and I'm doing Doctor Strange. But I don't want the, the Doctor Strange from the movies, because that's really elaborate, and I want to be kind of off the wall a little bit. So I'm doing <laughs> Doctor Strange from the Oath comic. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to look up what that looks like. <laughs> because I really like the, 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 he's got this weird, like, hook thing on his collar. Um, that I liked a lot. Speaking of collars, yours is going to be about two feet tall. Pro- well, I don't. Depending don't on the depending on the artist's like, representation, it's like fifteen or sixteen inches. I've already I've already cut the uh, the fabric for the cloak. Ah, okay. Like the movie costume would be something I'd have to have somebody else make that because there's there's a lot of straps and leather and stuff and boots and the cloak is is pretty elaborate. But the the comic one is. Um, a lot less complex and something that I can accomplish on my own. Yeah, but uh, he's right. This collar ain't kidding around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't done any uh, sewing in 15 years, at least. Uh, I think the last thing I did was uh, for Renaissance, the Great Plains Renaissance Fair back in Wichita. Oh, wow. So it's been a very, very long time since I've wielded a sewing machine. I mean, good news, needle and thread works kind of about the same as it did back then. I mean, there's not been, you know, huge major <laughs> technological changes in fabric. So That's you're true. you're good. I mean, the knowledge base you have still works. It's just a matter of, do I still have that knowledge base? <laughs> and actually, it's a lot easier now because you can go on YouTube and you can find hours and hours of people giving advice, good advice. So, And you know, considering how popular comic book heroes are you might even be able to find like a basic pattern for some of these elements <laughs> well actually ironically uh i've got a pattern for the cloak and i have actually worn that very same pattern before because it's the same one that my mom used for a vampire costume when i was a little kid oh my gosh ah. I'm like looking at it's like <laughs> hey wait this is that same cloak isn't it <laughs> ah mccall's you're always there when we need you yep so I'm just, you know, changing the uh, the collar up a little bit and taking off the the weird scallops that were on the the hem of the cloak. Uh, it'll be the, a cloak of levitation instead of a vampire cloak. Uh, oh. we, we can't wait for pictures. I'm sure they will look <laughs> great on the Geek at Arms website. Yes, we'll be certain to make that happen. And I've already got the the hair for Doctor Strange with the the silver on the temples. <laughs> uh, mine's not quite as dramatic as his. I'll have to punch it up a little bit. The only trouble is I'm kind of portly, not skinny like he is. But, you know, 
it's cosplay. We'll fix it in post. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. If the size of the person dictated whether or not they could cosplay as a certain character, Comic-Con would be a desolate place. Yes. I indeed. mean, yeah, like this is the thing is that's, it is not about looking exactly screen accurate to whatever is out there. This is, this is cosplay. You're not auditioning for, for the movie. This is, mm-hmm. this is here for fun. So, so do what's fun and have fun with it. Plus the giant cloak hides an awful lot. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, all I got to do is keep my arms folded and the cloak hanging down and nobody will be able to Ooh. see my paunch. Look how mysterious Brian is being. I'm like, no, he's just cutting his gut. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be a lot of yeah. fun. And I, some of that costume is kind of ridiculous. Like he's got this baby blue belt and I actually managed to find a belt in that color. I was kind of impressed with myself. Oh my gosh. I must be looking at a different image because I see him with a, like a yellow sash around his waist. Uh, yeah. That's not the, the, uh, the comic I was basing mine on. Uh, well, he's and, had uh, lots of outfits over the years. Yep. And the yellow gloves with, with black spots on them. I've actually found some really nice uh, mustard-colored gauntlets on Etsy that fit pretty well. Dude, there is so much great both cosplay and medieval reenactment stuff on Etsy. Mm -hmm. And some items are used for both. Yep, as is this one. (laughs) Medieval (laughs) gauntlet. Ooh, that'll be good for my cosplay. (laughs) I was about to say, someone probably made them for rapier gauntlets. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what they are. (laughs) So uh, let's see, what else? Um... XCOM 2, which I've talked about in the past, was recently a free game in the Epic Store, so I imagine possibly several people may have picked that up. So I thought this would be a good time to give those people some advice, because XCOM is not an easy game. If you play like the the normal difficulty, and you've never played XCOM before, you're going to get your tail handed to you. And so some some bits of advice. First of all, if it's if it's the kind of if you're the kind of person who's only going to play the game once, go ahead and just get the War of the Chosen expansion, install that and play it with that because it's a a much more interesting story. Um, but if you think you'll play it several times, then do the DLCs one at a time. There's two that'll kind of play together: the Shen's Last Gift and I don't remember the name of the other one. But install both of those. You know, play it vanilla and then install both of those and play it with those, and they'll add some story stuff. And then War of the Chosen and play it with the whole thing. Because actually War of the Chosen disables some of the story from those other two DLCs, so you'll miss it. And in a lot of games, the the save scumming, where you, you, know, you save and then right before a major decision and you see how it plays out, and if you don't like it, you go back. Some people say that, you know, that's lame. Uh, XCOM is actually kind of designed with that in mind. Uh, there is an hmm. Iron Man mode, and Iron Man mode is much, much harder. It doesn't change anything other than you can't save anymore. Oh, but just that makes the game much more difficult. Uh, and I'm not saying you know save before taking every shot so you always hit because you know that is cheesy. But you know save at the beginning of the mission. If you lose your alpha squad because you made a bad decision, don't feel bad about reloading that and trying again. The game is designed uh, with that in mind. And set it on a slightly lower difficulty level because you're a gamer. You're good at games. XCOM is hard. I'm playing it on Legendary right now, the, the highest level. And I had to, to make some tweaks in the, the settings to extend the mission timers because it's like, no, 
I cannot fight through the legendary aliens in five turns. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and I'm good at the game. So uh, there's a point at which the game is work and it, and you want it to be fun. Yeah. It's like, I'm not playing Iron Man on, on legendary. I'm just, <laughs> I don't hate myself that much. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who are just amazing at the game. I'm good at it. I'm not fantastic. Uh, people who are fantastic at it can probably play legendary and Iron Man. Don't do that to yourself, please. You'll hate it. Uh, you know, play on uh, the veteran at the most when you're starting out. When you feel like I've got this game down, go to Commander, and you'll find out that you don't have this game down. Because, <laughs> like I said, I'm good at it. And I'm playing on Legendary, and it's like, no, I'm starting this whole campaign over because I just lost everything. <laughs> and then, in my pursuit of girly anime shows <laughs> oh like that, that's not a contest right now because i'll bet you you're losing go ahead <laughs> i recently recently watched fruits basket and this is one that every time i go to the library and I, I check their manga section i see that they've got like 40 issues of fruits basket starting at issue two or three i'm sorry fruits basket now you're fruits gonna have to basket. you're gonna explain this one to us that's that's what's on there and i know that's what it's called just hearing it out loud, I hate it. <laughs> you just buckle the, up, James, and you hang on. Continue. <laughs> okay, the title comes from a, an experience that the protagonist had when she was in grade school, where they were playing a game uh, called Fruits Basket. And it's essentially, it's uh, Duck, Duck, Goose. Well, no, it's not Duck, Duck, Goose. It's something else. I know that there's an analog in American children's play, but I can't remember what it is. But everybody is assigned a uh, a fruit to and and the fruit goes into the basket and I don't exactly remember how the game is played but she is assigned something that is clearly not a fruit um, and I don't remember what it is and all of the other kids are just making fun of her because she doesn't belong in the fruit basket then of course through the the course of the show she finds herself learning how to belong to a basket that she clearly doesn't actually belong in in the very first episode, she is living in a tent in the woods because um, her mother has died and she was supposed to move in with her grandfather. Because anime. Because anime. It's a cartoon and so parents are dead. For an anime with this title, it got really dark all of a sudden. Just you hang uh, on, James. I told you, we're going to get your turn to hate something. <laughs> At this point, I'm just making a list. So she's living in this tent in the woods because... She, she was moving in with her grandfather and then the apartment building decided they were going to remodel. And so granddad had to go live with uh, his, his other children, uh, the, what's her name? Toru's uh, cousins. And they don't like her. There's not enough room for her. And so she's like, okay, it's just, it's fine. I'll go, I'll, I'll go stay with some friends that I have. And then she thinks about her friends. And these are very, very good friends who will absolutely do anything for her, but she doesn't want to inconvenience them. So she gets a tent and lives in the woods. And I'm, I'm saying these people will, will lay down their lives for her, but she's so nice and she, she doesn't want anybody to be put out for her sake. Uh, and of course, naturally horrible things happen and she winds up having to live with a boy that finds her in the woods. But it turns out that this boy and all of his family have this curse that if they ever embrace a member of the opposite sex, they turn into an animal. 
Because anime, yeah. Because anime. Um, and this is the setup for something, you know, you, you got your fan service and all that, but it's actually really, really tasteful. That's good. Um, it doesn't do those tropes that you mentioned really hating James, the, the nosebleeds and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get any of that stuff because it is, this is actually, it's marketed toward girls. Um, and it's, it doesn't take any of those, those, Hey, we're going to try and rope in the, the teenage boy crowd by, you know, giving some panty shots or whatever. It never, it never goes there. Good. And I just really fell in love with this character because she is so sweet and she's not perfect. Um, but it's like, I can see things about her that is like, I would like to really emulate that because she accepts people for who they are and, and, and how they come to her. And she's not trying to, to, uh, reconfigure them for her own purposes and she never quite sees herself the way other people see her um, she doesn't see the the goodness in herself and that just makes her really innocent and very 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 likable um, and i i thoroughly enjoyed the entire show it made me cry almost every episode and i am i am not ashamed about that oh especially not after i give you my impromptu anime watching so <laughs> what gl- have you been watching i'm glad that you enjoyed it brian that's absolutely wonderful i stopped listening after dead parents <laughs> okay uh do you know what yeah i was not gonna do this for my geek out because like i've got enough to talk about but i i was sick and i like to watch really wonderfully stupid stuff when i'm sick so uh <laughs> zombie land saga like really scratched that itch um we're not talking about dead parents the protagonist is dead um, the, it's about, uh, it's about this team of, of girls that have been turned into zombies. Actually, they've been resurrected from various different points of Japanese history so that they could form a girl idol band, uh, so that they could put this <laughs> province back on the map. It's because it, anime, because anime, it's great. It's stupid. It's hysterical. I, it knows exactly what it is and it doesn't care. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's glorious for exactly that. So well, we had reached the end of my geek out. So go ahead and, yeah. and take it away for keep, what you were actually going to talk about. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying like, enjoy what you enjoy because just because it's, it's, you know, it's intended to be girly or whatever. Look, the, the show does not care what gender you are. Like it is on mm-hmm. film and you just like what you like, whatever. Um, I do like those shows. Quick question for both of you. Can either one of you recall an anime where the main character's parents are both A, still alive, and B, happy and active in their lives? Sailor Moon. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's well, that's the, all for and, Geek and, at Arms. And, uh, thank you for joining <laughs> Brian, Mike, and James. <laughs> and there hasn't been a single one since. No, there, there's there's quite a few. Okay. Um, the, the thing that they tend to do with those romances is they want to have this this teenage uh, uh, interaction and, and awkwardness. And so the, the parents are all, very often kind of weirdly, mysteriously absent. It's like, does this person have parents? Why are they never around? And, you know, they'll pop in every once in a while and, and, and do their thing, but they, they don't want the, the parents to be interfering with this, this story very much. And so a lot of times you'll have a, a thing where, okay, well, they're, their parents are in the country and they've been sent to the city to go to school or something like that. Or 
the parents are there. They're just always on vacation for some reason. I feel like considering the naming conventions of modern anime, there could be one called, I want to date my super hot classmate, but my dad is such a drag and keeps grounding me. What? I think I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's in its third season. Really, the adolescent-oriented um, media that we have really isn't all that different. Like, I'm, I'm going to go, I mean, it is different, but it's, it's looking for new and different ways for, or maybe old tried and true ways for the adolescents to, to be independent. Um, mm -hmm. You know, take a look at, I don't know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we have these, these wonderful teenagers played by 30 and 40 year olds or whatever. I mean, <laughs> the, the parents are, are either absent or entirely ignorant or obstructive to what is actually going on. So it's, it, when it's not about the parents, parents are you know if they're in the picture they're either obstructions uh or they have to be somehow or other excused from the scenario buffy is an excellent example because anime parents are almost always like xander's parents the only exposure you ever get to them is this voice at the top of the stairs yeah so <laughs> actually i think xander's parents did finally appear in the the episode where he was supposed to be getting married it was the only time we saw them I wonder and if after it was that the episode, we go back to wishing we had never seen them. Right. <laughs> I haven't made it to that episode. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess that does take us to my geek out, which first thing I wanted to, to mention that I was invited on to the Retro Rewind podcast, and I was delighted to hang out again with Francisco Ruiz and uh, pauljpowers.com. Uh, they're yes. always... <laughs> Uh, they're always very gracious hosts. Uh, also, guest hosting with me was uh, Kevin Joshua, the Dapper Man Burnham. And I, I got to tell you, that day I was sick. I mean, I was really, really sick. Like I woke up and my voice was in such horrible shape. I didn't even think I'd be able to record. Um but it's always so amazing hanging out with those folks uh, that went on mm -hmm. and we did episode 248, Harry and the Hendersons. and A.K.A. the weird and lesser known and oddly placed Harry Potter series. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that quite fit in with the rest of them, but, you know, we, we were not going to argue with canon. I would read that fanfic. Um... <laughs> Harry and the Hendersons, Hagrid's origin. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. So, you know, but it was, uh, it, it's always fun being on their show. They've got a great formula. We've mentioned their show once or twice a minute on our podcast, uh, in the past. So do go and check out episode 248. And if like, huh, Mike sounds weird. <laughs> That's because I was really ill. But there is one thing about that episode, which I did have a gripe about. Sure. And I'm going to bring it up on this podcast because it's mine and I can. Yeah. Um, I was perfectly fine going through my life. Haven't forgotten that they made a TV show based on Harry and the <laughs> Hendersons. I was content. I was fulfilled in my life having forgotten that they not only made a Harry and the Hendersons TV show in 1991, but that it ran for 79 episodes. Did it wow. really? Three seasons. 
I had no idea. It we don't even really have a good. full season of Firefly, but yet we have 79 episodes oh. of a family trying to hide Bigfoot in their house. The world sucks. <laughs> I, I don't. What do you do that Alf didn't? <laughs> anyway, no, we're not. We're, I've ne- I wasn't even aware. No, we're not spending any more time talking about that. Let's move on. Yeah, we're moving on. All right. So good people, good time. Go check out 248, Harry and the Hendersons. Um, yeah, it was it was just fun. The only other thing on my geek out, and it's it's a small thing, um, was PAX. Yay, PAX East 2022 Yay. Time happened. Time for this year's PAX report. Yay. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, there were a lot of good things going on here. Um, I, I am kind of working on a blog post, um, and I'll see if I can get that wrapped up hopefully before this episode goes, but because now I've set it on recording, we know I've doomed it. <laughs> <laughs> this year was, was different. Um, there were the, PAX 2020 happened just as coronavirus was, was hitting the U S and we didn't really understand yet what the impact uh, was and what it was going to be. So there was, you know, there a lot of us that went there's like, wow, we really kind of dodged a bullet. This could have been a super spreader event. And the organizers really had it in mind that this was not going to be a super spreader event. So everyone who attended had to be masked 100% of the time, unless you were in an eating or drinking area. And everyone had to have... Uh, produce their vaccine card plus an ID that matched the name on their vaccine card. So 100% masked, 100% vaxxed, um, with that many people, that was their, that was their standard of safety. And, uh, it was, it was a different vibe because usually it's like, you know, you're, you're in the queue hall if you choose to queue up and it's generally like shoulder to shoulder people just pressed into the space to this year. I kind of watched the queue halls from the sky bridge and they were, they did not fill up the queue halls. Like people were like, eh, you know what? That's okay. I don't need to stand shoulder to shoulder with people. That's, that's okay. The doors will open. I will get in. It will be my turn and that's fine. Um, and in lines and in the queue halls, the enforcers, uh, are, are telling people press in as close as you feel comfortable fill in those gaps if you feel comfortable instead of like come on stand up move in press together we got a lot of people to squeeze in here they they were not going to press you to squeeze if you did not want to squeeze and a lot of people just didn't um the floor was set up differently uh the big three weren't there there was no sony there was no nintendo um no i don't remember what the other big one was i i don't i don't usually go to the big booths like i don't want to wait three hours in line to to play a game and get a button uh, or a pin um, I'm there to see other things um, but the so the they had more space to work with and the aisles were a lot larger there was a lot more movement space and it was a different vibe um, there wasn't the after party type things that were going on quite as much um, there are a lot of like impromptu stuff that the community just does like one year, 
my eldest and I showed up on the sky bridge after hours and somebody shows up with a guitar. Another person just happens to wander by with a ukulele and a flute and a melodica. And there was just a video game music jam session that was not planned. It just people with instruments having, having a fun time with whoever gathered on the bridge. Um, less of that. Um, and it's understandable. There are some people who did not want to attend because they, they did not want to be vaxxed to go to the event. Other people didn't go to the event because they don't want to be with that many people. So they're working with a specific Venn diagram of people that say these safety precautions are fine for us at this phase of the pandemic. And so um, that is what that is. Uh, so it was different, but still good. And I had a lot of fun. Um, my eldest actually went in cosplay this year. And uh, have either of you seen the show Owl House? No, I was going to ask about that because I saw her her costume. I was like, I don't know who that is. I, I saw a picture that you posted of her and her hair had kind of a greenish tint to it. And it kind of blended in with the produce section she was standing in front of. And so when you said she went in cosplay, I'm like, is she the cabbage vendor from Avatar, the last airbender? <laughs> no, her hair is green. I mean, that's that's what color her hair is now. I mean, that, that it has been for a while. Uh, and the character Amity Blight also has green hair. And it's been kind of a joke with her and her friends anyway, so that if she pulls her hair up in in a certain way, she has a widow's peak. And when her roots grow a little bit, there's the brown under the green. And so they were calling her Amity already. And she's like, yeah, this sounds like an opportunity. And so <laughs> she she cosplayed as Amity Blight from Owl House. Uh, it's... Um, uh, she had a great time and it was it was fantastic she she couldn't carry a bag to carry all of her stuff so she did find a pack mule uh whom she called dad and <laughs> you know um it, it was a great time and she she got to meet some other cosplayers people asked to stop to take her picture um and she was kind of concerned how her social anxiety would would handle those interactions but she actually had a really great time with it. And I, I thought it was fantastic. She hand sewed, like hand stitched all of the modifications that she made to the dress. So didn't even use a sewing machine. Oh, and there was a cool. lot of hand done care that went into it. So it, it was great. We got to see some new and interesting, more independent type tabletop games. Tabletop in the last several years has kind of been gravitating towards PAX Unplugged in Philly. But uh, there's still some stuff that's going on in PAX East. And my wife could, because I went with, with my wife, Kaja, on Friday, and I went with my kiddo on Saturday. And my wife just could not resist picking up Space Cats Fight Fascism. And I could not think of a zanier concept other than <laughs> what I saw later on that day. <laughs> um, but basically, you are cats fighting fascism in space and so exactly what it says on the box yeah it does not misrepresent itself the, the game mechanics themselves i haven't been thrilled with she's played with three players and she says the game plays fine uh what it is is every round you can travel to a point you can take two actions usually it's travel to another planet and then you can either fight fascism or you can liberate or you can, you know, install forces there or you can uh, 
you can remove fascist uh, re, um, regiments from a planet. And every turn, once you're done, you roll, and whatever you whatever sectors you roll, more fascist elements pop up. And it has a certain set of victory conditions uh, in terms of liberating enough planets, but it's it can always go back and forth. Like you never completely lose a planet and you never completely win a planet because if you roll the dice, you can lose forces and the other, the, the, the game can install forces. Uh, it's a cooperative game. So you're working together, but it just, when I've played it two player, it just feels like whack-a-mole. Um, is you never quite get the job done. Uh, but she says that it plays great as three. So I'll mm. have to wait till I can actually play with more players. But the art's fun. The concept's sceny. I'm looking forward to the expansion where they introduce the uh, communist faction led by the villainous Meow Seitung. <laughs> <laughs> are Are you looking ahead to some of the things that are that are in the video game section of what I played? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then buckle up, buddy. Um, <laughs> because one of the games that was there was Super Marxist Twins. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Like, it is a parody propaganda piece where you, I don't remember the, the Marxist twins' names, um, but you are, it's a, it's a platformer, and it looks similar to another game where there are some other brothers uh, that are, you know, popular platformers who won't be named. Because one of the first things that I did when I saw the style of this game and the, the character design was, wow, how did you plan to not get sued? And I'm looking at pictures of this. Kind of said, well, like, wow. Style is not copyrightable. G you know what? They were. You can get sued anyway, but it's not copyrightable. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that it. The parody parody is allowed and the visual style is not copyrighted. They're not taking direct elements. Um, but you know, it doesn't really stop anybody can can issue you a lawsuit and if you you know and if you're big enough, uh, you, you can out money the other people into stopping. Um, they said, well, we just wanted to see, we decided to go for it and see what happens. I, I recommend downloading the demo. Uh, he has one character, you get to lob hammers. The other, you can throw in a straight line sickles. Um, <laughs> it's two players simultaneous. Uh, or if you play one player, you can swap between the twins. Uh, and if one of them dies, you can gather more resources to bring them back in. So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, you're not out of lives until both of you are out at the same time. So... Is there a special I, mushroom I that lets you throw around pamphlets to voice against the bourgeoisie? No, but at the end of every level, instead of running your flag up a castle, you you do oust a bougie pig and set fire to his mansion. So, I mean, <laughs> close enough. Yeah. It's, it's goofy fun. Um, I also definitely want to plug the game because the creators were great. Um, they were, uh, I was, I'm really appreciative to them as human beings. Uh, because we were playing on the convention floor right before closing. Um, Kaja had um, Kaja had a bit of an issue uh, where she had to leave the floor immediately and had to get out, get some air, get some water. 
after the floor closes, we realized she had left her phone somewhere in the convention hall and it is closed. Um, and what it was is we, she had left it at super Marxist twins. Um, first thing they did is like, they, they turned it, they turned it into an enforcer first thing. Um, and the enforcers were great. Um, and that's one of the things, once we realized that, that we had had the problem, we had an idea of where it was, we told an enforcer and then we knew that the problem would get solved. And, and it did. The enforcers are amazing. Um, the good people that are there at PAX are, are, are generally just great people. Um, and thank you, Super Marxist Twins, for, I mean, that's not their name, uh, but that's the name of their game. <laughs> uh, the demo was currently free to download on Steam, uh, so uh, check it out. Have fun. Yeah, it, it's just goofy fun. Another game that we picked up, uh, I haven't finished it yet, but it's called, uh, I think it's pronounced Hoa. It's a, it's a Vietnamese game. And it's okay, a, see, I thought it was a game about a homeowners associations. I'm like, yeah, I thought the same thing. Theme. I'm like, well, you yeah. know, there's games about, you know, being goats and about farming. So I'm not going to judge. <laughs> <laughs> like, why not? HOA um, simulator 2022. Oh no. I <laughs> do not want to play this game. Uh, it's exactly like HOA Simulator 2021. It's a fantasy world where you get to own a home. Really? <laughs> like, no, Mike, no, you'll never own a home. Uh, it is a, a platformer that, at least in the early levels, seems to care about only two things. Um, being zen and being beautiful. Um, it's... The art style and the music remind me of a Miyazaki movie. Mm. And it's not high technicality in terms of its in terms of its platforming and puzzle solving. Like you do have to solve puzzles, you do have to platform, but it's not like agonizingly hard or anything. It's just fun, zen, and beautiful. And sometimes that's really just all you want is is an is is an experience and it's it it is that for me i thought it's been great after a rough day and the final game that i really want to draw some attention to and this is coming out this summer for all platforms it's going to be on pc it's going to be on switch it's going to be on playstation it's going to be on xbox is teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge this game is really just a rehash of the old arcade game. You remember that four-player arcade game that we poured so many oh, quarters into? Dude, how yes. much money did we blow on that game? A lot. Um, and the thing is, I've actually played it relatively recently. Uh, it was in a barcade. It was at Roxy's before the pandemic. And I played it, and it was one of those things. Like It was kind of fun to pump a few quarters into, and it was kind of fun. But it's like, yeah, I played that game. Cool. Um, so I, I was walking by at PAX and I'm like, okay, so they're doing this again? I mean, it is obviously that game. It's updated. It's different. It's It's got an old feel with updated graphics. But really, is this just another nostalgic cash grab? The answer to that is, I mean, kind of. And also, no, it's different. Um it has the same tight beat-em-up look and feel. Uh, 
you have your jump, you have your kick, um, <laughs> just like you always did. But they've also introduced a couple of new mechanics where you get special attacks, where if you make repeated attacks without getting hit, like if you if you connect with those foot soldier robots like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times without getting hit, you you kind of charge up a super attack that just gets more and more and more powerful. And it's cool because if you want to, you can kind of sit back from the action and press like a meditate or a charge up button. And if you can go without getting hit for that time, when you're standing still, just holding a button, it'll charge that up to like you just hit 10 enemies. Um, so you get get one of your other teammates to help you, you'll be able to still have a charged super attack. What really seemed to capture everybody's attention? Like I, I passed by that game so many times and almost nobody was playing one of the turtles. Because though it is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you have the option to play as April O'Neil, finally. Like, <laughs> she is a playable character. And Master Splinter is a playable character. Is this old school yellow jumpsuit April O'Neil and purple bathrobe Splinter? Is there any other kind? No, the answer yes. is no, there is not. Then yes, it oh. is. It is, yeah. And her her early stage special attack is she is like swinging like round and round like a top with a with a camera on a tripod smashing through foot soldiers it is th this thing is goofy it is self-aware it is just a little bit stupid in such a glorious way so <laughs> in having a four player game that the entire family can can join in on the smash it up i mean it is is fantastic i i played through the first two levels I walked by it a few times and just didn't care. Like, I'm not going to stand in line to play this game I've already played. I'm not going to do that. Then it turned out that as the convention floor was closing, the line had gotten really, really short. So I'm like, okay, yeah, let's, let, my eldest kiddo and I were like, yeah, let's do this. And I am so glad we did because it was just a fun experience and, and I'm going to get this game. Cool. I might have to grab it myself. Besides playing it in the video arcades of old, uh, I had the old NES version that they came out with as well. Oh, yeah, it was it was okay, but it was still fun. I mean, you got to play it in my house, and it was it was okay. It was I had fun, but being able to play this sounds like will be even more fun. Yeah, the NES port I replayed a couple of years ago, and it's one of those things that it just kind of felt like doing the same thing all the time. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah, I, I kind of fell off of the game at that point. And then once we once I saw this, I'm like, okay, is it gonna be like that? Yes, it was, but no, it wasn't. Um <laughs> it it had a fun feel to it. So yeah, I, I would and the the levels are very similar to how they were in the original game, at least the first two, but in a way that still felt fresh and new, and I don't know exactly how they did that. It's fun when they get nostalgia right isn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, guys, I'm just going to go out on a limb. Um, I know that we had something else entirely different planned, but why don't we talk about nostalgia? Can we do that? No. Actually, no. I lied. We, we planned to talk about nostalgia. So I just... <laughs> Brian called you on it. No. <laughs> Brian's like, I... No, I want to do the original, our original topic. My quote was that again. 
<laughs> the original was our viewing of the new anime, Baby Sunshine Smacks a Hammer with Another Hammer, Except Her Father is Dead. Um, so... <laughs> It loses something in the translation. Was James's brain coming to a screeching halt? <laughs> so, James, why don't you tell us about your your experience in viewing this film? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James is currently trying to stop the nosebleed that has erupted from his <laughs> torn brain cells. Not because of that title, oh. but because it probably, in some way, either exists or is about to. <laughs> shh, 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 they'll hear you. <laughs> You know, animation just needs to be called like Bleach, Naruto, Full Metal Out. Never mind. I don't. I don't care. I don't want to know. Just move on. <laughs> they, they look up some English words in a dictionary and then come up with a plot later. That's what they do. <laughs> I'm not arguing. I mean, like I'm. I'm there for it. But all right, <laughs> this plot doesn't so... make a sense. We turn one of the girls into a maid. Now it does. Animate it. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me at PAX, they had the maid brigade, a whole bunch of people dressed up as maids. I got a picture with them. They're like eight maids. I have no idea what the deal was. But anyway. That's like, the theme of this episode. It, was, it, it all comes such, back to PAX. It was so beautifully inclusive, like age, gender, like origin, like ethnicity, didn't matter. Put a maid on, join the brigade. And there, there it was. Anyway. So, how about we go swiftly back to nostalgia? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's where we live. It really is. Um, so, I, I guess, yeah, the, the first question, you know, that we see so much of, uh, so much nostalgia media today. Like, there is, I mean, half of everything that's getting produced feels like it's either a reboot or a reboot sequel or somehow a tie-in with some sort of earlier property. So I guess the question, why why nostalgia? I guess there's two ways to answer that question. Why, why do we want to watch it? And why does it keep getting made? And they're not the same answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so why do you watch something nostalgic? I mean, I'm assuming you do. I mean, we kind of talk about it. Oh, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Um I guess I have a bad memory. Um, I, there, there's, there's, which is kind of a weird thing for me to say, because I'm kind of well known for being, for knowing a little bit about everything. But if I haven't seen something in four or five years, I've largely forgotten stories and, and stuff. So a lot of times I go back and I rewatch things that I've already seen. Um, and I kind of actually prefer that often to watching something new. Um, I'm in my currently rewatching Angel just because it's been a while since I watched it and I want something that I already know. Um, I'm watching the Thundercats, not the, the the reboot, but the original Thundercats. Oh, wow. Mm. It's on Hulu. It's quite nice. Uh, just because I don't, I, I don't know if I could put my, my finger on the why of it. It's just sometimes when I'm I'm looking for something to watch, and I see, hey, that that's new. I haven't seen that. It looks interesting. It's like, but I don't know anything about it. I don't know it already. And so I go back to something that I do know. And I don't know why. I think it's funny that you say that. And it's because there are, there are some times when I'm looking for a thing to gravitate towards. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I don't really want to engage anything with 
any sort of depth. I don't want to learn a new game. I don't want to learn a new media. I, I don't want to get to know new characters. I don't want to have to figure this out. Give me something that I, that I know I, I have a certain attraction towards. We've all heard of the, the concept of comfort food. It's a food that is it, it brings us comfort. It, we, we know when we eat it, we're always going to like it. It brings some calm to us in moments of stress and strife and or just because we want something yummy. And our media is the exact same way. Hmm. And there have been times where I've been really stressed out and I'll have some time to watch something. And that's that's absolutely not the time that I will look for something new. Those are the times I will look for things that I know, like Babylon 5, MASH, because this is like this is like old friends. This is like comfort food for the mind and soul. And it's it's like putting on a really comfortable sweater, a warm blanket. It brings peace and tranquility. And it's not something that we have to think about. We've we've seen it. We know what we're getting and we can effortlessly enjoy it without having to think too much about it. I think that's actually part of the thing is not having to think too much about it. Because if I viewed something as a child and have kind of continually been enjoying it, I can kind of relive that childhood viewing. Like if I'm watching something new, a lot of times I'm analyzing, I'm critiquing, I'm breaking down as I'm going. And I don't feel the pressure to do that with nostalgic media. Like, if I want to turn that on, I can, but I don't really feel like I need to. And I, I feel like I can retain some of that childlike simplicity and view it from the same eyes. And I feel like that that feels good. What do you think about the possibility that, maybe not consciously, but as a part of us is trying to hope, hopefully relive that experience? Uh, just a bit back when it was fresh and new back in like, you know, the eighties when everything was fresh and new, because obviously that's when all the best media came out is what <laughs> many people in Hollywood uh, would like us to believe. And <laughs> buy the toy for this car robot or the communists win. <laughs> and in 30 years, we'll repackage it as a gritty real life reboot. And you'll want to buy the old toys again. I still want to buy the old toys. Anyway, no, I just want to buy Optimus Prime's fists. I've been, that is, that is, no. <laughs> oh, that's the thing we all lost for those of you who, you know, weren't alive in 1980. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, okay. So now we, we do have all of these, these gritty reboots. Some of them go well though. Some, some of them were made by Michael Bay. So what? <laughs> Sorry. What is hey, some... Michael Bay's got his place? If you want to see stuff blowed up, mm -hmm. you know where to go. Yeah. <laughs> if you see, whether, whether it's robots or asteroids blowing up, that's that's his niche. So, what is some nostalgic media? I mean, because now I think we kind of want to shift into some of the the reboots and remakes because people know that we love these things. Mm -hmm. um, so. Let's just talk about some of the nostalgic media that's gone well. What what mm -hmm. works? Hmm. One that has shown that has worked and at times not worked is, well, Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek seems to always be able to reinvent itself as something new pretty continuously. I mean, I, I don't think they've ever stopped doing Star Trek. Nope. It's always been old. It's always been new. 
Well, it's interesting, though, speaking of nostalgia, I talked about this earlier, that very soon we're about to get the latest Star Trek series uh, focusing on Captain Pike and the early days of the USS Enterprise. Pike being a character that was introduced in the very first Star Trek episode, uh, The Cage, which you know before he was replaced by Captain Kirk, and then he was later brought back in an episode or two. And so, I mean, this is like deep Star Trek lore and old, old school Trek, which they brought back in a season. They brought the character back in the Enterprise back in a season of Star Trek Discovery. And the response that they got was so huge. Not so much, I think, from the character, but just from how he was portrayed and how charismatically so by the actor and mm. also by the gentleman who did Spock and others of the Enterprise crew that it garnered enough good feelings, basically, that they decided, why don't we give them their own show? Because, once again, money. <laughs> I think it's probably going to turn out to be, this was the show that everybody wanted Enterprise to be. Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't get what they wanted out of Enterprise, so they're gung-ho about, this is what we wanted to, to begin with. We'll see if uh, Paramount delivers on that. Early reviews have been good, but uh, we'll wait and see. But um, obviously, it's cashing in a little bit. Well, not even a little bit, but a lot on <laughs> nostalgia. So, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism for what has been termed the modern Trek. So we'll see how this lives up. Okay. I haven't stayed with Discovery. It's like I don't it I just haven't found the story and the characters as as compelling. Mm -hmm. So is there is there something other than the store the the stories and and writing that people have complained about in the modern trek or is it the look and the feel or what what do people don't like? Uh those how it's presented Star Trek has always been its best when it has relied on an ensemble cast all mm -hmm. donating all playing a part. This one has a small core group of characters which most of the plot revolves around gotcha and it's four seasons in and there's i don't remember most of the names of the bridge crew fair enough okay <laughs> good enough for me yeah i don't want to i don't want to linger too long on what hasn't worked when we're talking about what does work so there have been some fine moments but there's been many times it just hasn't felt like trek okay so it again is about delivering on feeling so that's so subjective and that's rough. So it is. what and once again, that's just a personal feeling and a personal thought. That's all James is. I can't mm -hmm. say that for certain for everybody. So So what has like what media has worked that is nostalgic? One thing that jumps out to me has been Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That one I really enjoyed because it didn't try to bring back a specific property. Is it so much reminded you of the age when that property existed, specifically for us, the 80s of when we spent most of our childhood. You know, reminded us of that youth uh, when we first enjoyed those properties. And it, I, I think it did a really good job in capturing the feel and the essence and the look of that time period. Yeah, it very much felt like, to me, like this was an E.T. story without it being E.T. or another one of Spielberg's quirky kids on bikes type of amazing story yeah with and, you, you know uh, killer monsters made of flesh yeah you know <laughs> did you uh see super eight i did that's what happens if you have et and he is mad and he is abused <laughs> <laughs> well, it was that 
it was very much a Spielberg movie made by somebody other than Spielberg. And it, it really, it felt like his work. And it, it gave me the same kind of feelings of mm-hmm. the first time I was seeing Jurassic Park or uh, yeah. E.T. Kind of brought about a feeling of wonder and excitement and something mm-hmm. really new. Do you know what's interesting is that something that that worked well for me, which really was all just nostalgia, was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, this story, this movie has structural problems. This has plot holes. There's a lot of things that just didn't make sense, but I am super willing to forgive it in light of the fun romp it was. I mean, we're talking about busting ghosts. So there's like the originals didn't really hang together that well. (laughs) Yeah, those weren't airtight either. (laughs) But the thing that I found remarkable was this did not even attempt to catch the same vibe as the originals did. The Ghostbusters that came out in what, 2016, 2018, tried to be another goofy comedy about the startup of the Ghostbusters, which I, I, I loved that film. I, again, cheap, cheesy plot holes, but it was a fun romp and I enjoyed it. This afterlife really took a more somber, like heart touching tone that was never present in the property before, but mm-hmm. it still told evocative enough of a story that I, that I found it compelling and enjoyable despite its flaws, which I'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> we talked for a moment about bringing them back as gritty reboots. And when I think of nostalgic media done well, one of the first things I think of is the uh, early 2000 series, Battlestar Galactica. Mm, yeah. Now, I, I always had a love for the original Battlestar Galactica because, I mean, it was just fun. You know, the last members of a doomed race flying through the galaxy, being chased by evil robots and spaceships and lasers. I mean, it's everything an 80s kid could want. Plus, Lauren Green strongly <laughs> re- strongly resembles my grandfather. <laughs> really? <laughs> so that was just fantastic for me. Very cool. <laughs> Do you ever want to call him Grandpa Adama? <laughs> the temptation was there. I especially had a, a strong love of Battlestar Galactica because little piece of trivia. The first episode of Battlestar Galactica premiered on September 17th, 1978, which also happened to be the day I was born. Oh, oh happy birthday. <laughs> late. Like late, like very late. Like a long time ago. Like, that, was a, that was a while, dude. <laughs> thanks thanks to the two guys on this podcast who i know who are older than me um <laughs> no problem but but it was announced that they were going to do a remake of it uh i was like you know what bring it on it was a childhood show it definitely had its cheesy factor but it was also very enjoyable i'm going to enjoy how they've made it for modern times and the man behind it being ronald moore who had cut his teeth on Star Trek and so many other great TV shows. It was a roller coaster of a series that really brought the tension, the character dynamics. Joy and I, we had this tradition. It'd be Friday night. We'd like go get Mexican food, take it home, watch the new episode of Battlestar Galactica. And it was such a roller coaster ride. Every single episode, we just were finished. We're just exhausted 
by the end of it. What? Why are they doing this? Why did they kill that person? What are they? That person's a Cylon? <laughs> well, yeah, they're spine glowed. Yeah. So I was always very happy that it was only four seasons long, that it had a beginning, a middle, and an ending. You know, it wasn't something that they wanted just to see how many seasons they could get. But it was excellent storytelling. And every once in a while, you hear like rumors of like, oh, there's going to be another Battlestar Galactica movie. They're, they're going to reboot it again. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, no, wait, that first series came out back in 2000 and like six, 2007. So, okay, yeah, I guess it has been a while. So I don't know if it were exactly due for another reboot of it, but the one that we did get, I enjoyed immensely. I, I can enjoy both for being about the same thing. But so different, they each have different things that I enjoy. Okay. Yeah, I didn't find uh, the reboot really evoked the original very much. It was it had the same plot seed, but they're significantly different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of them that uh, I thought was really, really well done was Tron Legacy. That was uh, fun. And I know it's got its detractors, but... I don't have words for how much it. I loved Tron Legacy. I liked it so much. Visuals are spectacular. And the soundtrack. People I was listening to that yesterday. Well, the, the de-aged Jeff Bridges, or uh, was it Jeff Bridges? Yeah, Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges. looks so CG. It's like, well, he was a computer program. I yeah. would think that would be an advantage. Yeah, he's literally a computer he program. He's sh- not he real. He have looked more CG. That was the problem with it, is he looked too human. <laughs> I was waiting for him to glitch and one eye go the other way from, from the first, and just like, oh, okay, now he's glitching a bit. He's fine. <laughs> but yeah, that was a fantastic movie. I liked everything about it. I was so disappointed when we didn't get another one. They perfectly set it up. I thought it would have been so great. Well, there yeah. was that uh, animated TV show. Which was fun. It was very fun. I just wish we would have gotten a third movie. Yeah. To really close it out. If I were going to complain about anything, it was that there was not enough Bruce Boxleitner. I'll second that. I mean, he was the title character after all. <laughs> yeah. So what made this movie work? For you? Ah, it's a good question. Because when I like something, I don't I don't really analyze it too much. It's just, yeah, I like it. Fair. And I don't want to look too hard at that because I might find a reason that I don't like it. Okay, then tell me your two likes and a classic maker. No, just, just kidding. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Sorry, yeah, Francisco. we want the retro rewind guys to come after us. Okay, well, the classic <laughs> maker is definitely the music. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, if you Fantastic had told me that music. Daft Punk was going to do a soundtrack, I'm like, I don't know about that. Oh, wait, it's a Tron soundtrack? Okay, I'm in. I just said, who? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I had no, I'd never heard of him before Tron. I had, and I thought it was a good fit, but I thought it was going to be a little weird. But I don't know how good it's going to be. And they, I feel like everyone who was involved in this movie, they treated it with a level of respect mm-hmm. uh, to the core material well, everything that was added felt natural. Like, it wasn't that they were trying to reboot it. It felt like that everything that you saw from the updated uh, computer world and the characters, that this is the, the natural progression of the story. It felt okay. like, hmm. we want to make this movie the way we thought that the original, what we wanted the original to have been. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. Because we don't have those limitations anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, what about nostalgic media that is not done as well? What what doesn't work? Dare someone say Star Wars? No, I mean, I think that there's... That there's <laughs> I okay. joke, I joke. 
Yeah, you do. But like, let's unpack that for like just a second because, okay, yes, there's, there's a lot of detractors in, in the Star Wars community. Um, I love Star Wars. Right mm-hmm. now, there is so much Star Wars of so many different flavors. There are going to be things that I like. There are going to be things that I don't like as much or maybe don't like at all. And that's okay. Just be nice to each other about it. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Here's what I've noticed is that I really, really, really did not like the Phantom Menace. Okay. Uh, initially. 20 years later, I kind of do like it now. I don't know what it is, but if it was it's just that knee-jerk reaction of, this is not the Star Wars that I used to know. <laughs> to quote that parody song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's what first placed my mind. I was about to start singing. <laughs> but as time has gone by, and, and some of it, it's been the... Uh, the additional material that gave it more context. Um, like having, having watched the clone wars and having actually the, I think I've talked about how each of the trilogies makes the movie from makes the whole thing for me about a different person. Um, mm. Like, cause originally this is the story of Luke Skywalker. And then we got the prequels and it made the entire thing episodes one through six about Darth Vader. And then we get the third and it makes the entire thing about Palpatine. And I thought that was interesting. Just the way it, that is it interesting. Changed my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating. Um, so we look at something that is, that we say, well, that wasn't done as well, but by the time it itself becomes nostalgic for, for other people, maybe we'll have a, a different view on it. Like Mike said, there is so much star Wars now with so many different flavors that, as every new generation comes, they're all going to have their own first experience with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. For us, of course, it was the original trilogy, which was the best. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> like you can hold um, that as the, as your personal favorite. That's fine. Yeah. You can do but, that. Um, this I, is your podcast. Joke, yes. Um, others, the Phantom Menace was their very first experience with Star Wars. Like I've talked to people younger who grew up in that generation that the Phantom Menace, the Attack of the Clones, that's what formed their idea of Star Wars. Yeah. And and we have people now who the latest trilogy was some of their first experiences. We have some with the Clone Wars was I mean, we have kids out there who the Lego Star Wars cartoons, the Freemaker Chronicles, is their first exposure to Star Wars. <laughs> and you know what? Really, all of that is okay. Well, I think not only is it okay. Because when we're talking about nostalgia, we're talking about some of the media that is formative in our perspectives about the media that we're watching. Um, and I had a moment when I was watching, I was listening to the MinMax podcast in somewhere around episode 176 to 180 something when they gave Kyle the floor and like, all right, take us through Star Wars. And he's talking about how the Clone Wars was his childhood Star Wars. And I just kind of had this moment of like, wow, we grew up on different Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it was, you know, if there was a Star Wars TV show, it was the Ewoks Caravan of Courage. And I was thankful for it. (laughs) I am not going to rewatch that right now. But, I mean, I was thankful (laughs) for it. I mean, really think about it until the late 90s. All of Star Wars could be summed up in three movies, 
a cartoon, two made-for-TV movies, another made-for-TV movie around the holidays that we won't talk yeah, about. We won't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And a bunch of books. Yeah. I mean, there was well, the while tr- it was just the one book, uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh, my oh, yeah, you're right. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this is the thing is that I think one of the reasons why we're having some of the conflicts that we're seeing in the Star Wars community is everybody's talking about the this isn't what feels like Star Wars. This isn't what looks like Star Wars. This isn't what Star Wars is about. I mean, what they're talking about is this wasn't what I fell in love with as a kid. And this has been going on long enough that we weren't all kids at the same time. And so the things that are evocative of those childhood feelings are going to be different. So, you know, you know, that's okay. Gravitate towards what you like, but there isn't an objective. This is what feels like Star Wars. People were disappointed in the prequels because exactly that, like, yeah, it wasn't. And I think this is another problem that we have as viewers is we had what, 15, 20 years to imagine what the Clone Wars were. And to imagine what the fall of the Jedi was like. And to imagine Darth Vader's conversion uh, from Anakin to to Darth Vader. That we didn't have to worry about the, like, the structural plot of what that looked like and making it fit into a two-hour movie. So we, we just had a blank canvas to, to let our imaginations run wild and not have any self-critical elements introduced as to why or how that is inconsistent or doesn't doesn't make sense we are bound to be disappointed when somebody has the has the restrictions of actually making media out of it um so you can't compete with somebody's imagination like if you know you get a director telling you that you know a, a dog's eyes needs to be more bluey orange i don't i don't <laughs> i don't know if anybody knows anything about that like uh, no no i don't think so well, we've got a note about the book of boba fett down here and I don't, it has no context on it, but I'll just say that my experience with that was, and I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode. I just never really cared about Boba Fett. And <sighs> Whoa. I didn't really like Tatooine as an environment. Hmm. So that show was not for me. I was like, hmm. okay, it, it's probably good. I'm not really liking it until it turned into the Mandalorian season three partway through. <laughs> then I was sold. That was its best episode. Actually, I think it boosted the book of Boba Fett's ratings. Look, we're bleeding people. Let's bring in the Mandalorian. <laughs> well, it worked for me. Yeah. yeah. Except I did spend all of that one episode trying to figure out the the interaction between gravity and the air on the ring world. <laughs> how, how do they keep the air? <laughs> uh, they they just generated a reverse boson field. That's fine. That's all uh, they did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, see, they they have to tell me that in the in the script somewhere. <laughs> And then I stop thinking about it and pay attention to the plot. Look, but all I'm thinking about is how are they walking around? Is this thing like, what's? <laughs> Look, you're talking about the same form of media where in in the Last Jedi somebody dropped bombs in space. So like all <laughs> physics bets are off. Yeah, you know, it had never occurred to me to wonder about that. <laughs> if we're yeah. gonna start suspending belief about Star Wars now. It wasn't that I was suspending belief. I was just trying to figure it out. Right. And I needed somebody to drop some techno babble on me so I could stop trying to figure it out. Yeah, okay. I mean, if this I... had been Star Trek, Jordy would have explained that like in the opening scene. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think that the, the book of Boba Fett it suffered from a really I mean, I, w- I was kind of talking about imagination 
you had a character that had four lines and all he had was a cool suit and mystique built around him and that's it so some people are going to be displeased when it doesn't you know he doesn't turn out to be as cool as their vague imaginations the end yeah no is there is there anything else in in nostalgia media that doesn't work or hasn't gone well I'll throw Ghostbusters Afterlife in here again, because as I mentioned, the the film had some problems and there's a thing that annoys me in nostalgia media that they do, which is the writers set you up to have a feeling. I mean, nostalgia is about these feelings, but there's no reason for the character to have these feelings. Like there's nothing in their interactions or their background. Uh, For example, there's very little reason why Phoebe should identify herself as her grandfather's granddaughter. We liked Egon. We like her as a protagonist, but I don't think that we have enough interaction on screen to attach her to the ghost of her grandfather, other than it's what the audience is rooting for. Similarly, there's this corkboard experience where we see that, oh, Egon's actually been keeping an eye on his daughter from afar he he walked out on her but we have this tender moment where oh he was watching me from afar all along is that better (laughs) like i'm not sure it actually is but you know the writers set it up that way so that we can feel a thing and we can feel better about egon not having a relationship with his family so then is the trouble that because that that kind of thing you're talking about evoking emotion, evoking feelings, and that feels manipulative. That we're we're going to do whatever we can to to get this response, rather than letting that arise from something that's more honest. Does I, that make making any sense at all? It makes sense. I mean, what it it feels like to me is that I I want I am okay having that feeling. I want the the character to have a an actual reason to have that reaction um, Mm -hmm. rather than it being just jammed in there. I think maybe a more egregious example would be in the Mandalorian season two. We see Ahsoka confront uh, whatever her face was. And after their duel, yeah, I cared that much about the character. Um, And she says at the end, where is Thrawn? And everybody went, Ooh, yeah okay why like i saw rebels thrawn is like vanished to i i don't know wherever bav morda wound up after the end of willow he's he's gone (laughs) so why are you why are you looking for him why does ahsoka care what has she been doing why well obviously mike because she's looking for ezra bridger who disappeared on the same star destroyer that thrawn did i mean obviously everyone knows that who went in to watch the mandalorian do you know what look if you want some jedi boy there's grogu right there have your fun you don't need ezra he's gone basically there's nothing in the narrative that we saw she might as well have gone up to her for for all that the plot required like tell me where the Besmo crystals are, you know, I mean, like, because that's also something that is completely irrelevant to the narrative. Fine. We did not know that she was looking for something. Why did she want to confront this person? Oh, okay. Other than, you know, we need to uproot this Imperial presence, which is why we thought she was confronting this person. But no, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 
you name Thrawn because, and here's the thing that bugs me, because we as Star Wars fans who loved the Thrawn trilogy love the word Thrawn (laughs) because he was an amazing character in the novels. And so if Ahsoka, who was amazing in, apparently, in Clone Wars, like I, I saw Clone Wars, it it was fine. Like it, it wasn't my my childhood Star Wars, honestly, at the very end of the series when we saw the Ahsoka show when she's running away from the Jedi. That was, I thought, the high point for me. But Ahsoka is not somebody I particularly cared about. But I know that other people do. And so when people who like this character hear her mention this other character that they liked, there was this, oh, like huge speculation moment that had nothing to do with the plot. You just wanted us to go, oh. So there you viewed it as nostalgic cash-in. Like, because you liked this old thing, we're going to say it in this show so you'll be more invested in the show and whatever we, we put out in the future. Yeah. I thought it was artificial because it had nothing to do with the plot and it had nothing to do with the story and it had nothing to do with the character as we had seen established thus far. I didn't like it because for all those reasons and also it, it requires you to have a knowledge of another show, which mm-hmm. most fans aren't going to have watched in order to truly understand what's happening in the moment. And even though I did, and you did, and Brian did, because we're all geeky geeks like that, (laughs) I feel like it did a disservice plot-wise. I mean, there are so many other things, so many other reasons why she could have been going after this ex-Imperial that would have felt true, that would have felt honest Mm -hmm. to the situation and to the character, and would have made us invest in all of those more. But by saying, where's Thrawn? I'm like, where's the lead up to that? Exactly. Exactly. Where's, yeah. Where is the history there? Okay, yeah. It was in a cartoon, but that cartoon's been over with for quite a few years now. And most of your target audience, because you're, you're, you're casting a wider net now, Disney, they're not going to have seen it. Well, I mean, I think that it's okay if there is reference and nuance that 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 relies on earlier medium um, earlier media if it's being tossed out as an easter egg it's okay but as major plot point not so much uh-huh. i feel like yeah uh, unless unless it works well enough without do you know what this isn't exactly nostalgic media but i think it it worked well in in dune uh the new the new 2021 version when there were there were things that seemed consistent with the book but you didn't have to have read the book in order to understand what's going on. Like you mm-hmm. can layer comments, make it a media tort, if you will. There are many, many layers to this and you can enjoy all of this. You can enjoy it all in one bite without studying each individual layer. Yeah. Uh, my sister can't. <laughs> oh, she she peels apart her torts and organizes them? Man. She eats a an Arby's sandwich from the top down. We're not going to talk about Arby's. <laughs> Sorry. I think... A way that they could have done justice to the character and to allude to the Rebels cartoon and to that shared history when the Mandalorian first meets Ahsoka. He could have asked her, what are you doing on this planet? She could have just dropped a hint of, like Brian said, an Easter egg. I'm looking for an old friend. For those of us in the know, we'd be like, oh, we know what she's doing. But that's just enough of a little teaser that people would go, oh, who's she looking for? What's going on? Is there more there that I haven't seen? without it being quite so blatant. Yeah, build it up, 
for build it yes. up for the audience and show it. Yeah, just show your mouth. <laughs> I heard somebody, and I haven't rewatched the 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 Force Awakens recently enough, but they had a moment where Han walks onto the Millennium Falcon and says, "Well, ah, Chewie, we're home," and the music swells, and the critics question, "Well, well, is he?" I mean, you know. It's been left aside for a good long while. Is there anything in his journey that would tell us that he's home other than the audience wants him there? I don't know if I necessarily agree for that particular scene in that particular show, but I, I think that we see a lot of examples of nostalgic media trying to evoke our feelings of taking for granted we are predisposed to feel certain ways about certain characters without actually having to show your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not developing the character. I just had a thought of, it goes along with this. I alluded to it earlier in my geek out about how much I, I have, but it mostly have not been enjoying the new Halo TV show. And it, it feels weird to think about that as a type of nostalgic media, but the original Halo Combat Evolved game came out on the Xbox back in 2001. So hmm. first off, that makes me feel much older than I want to admit as old as Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. There have been numerous games, books, and lore that have been built into this game. So when they finally made a TV show, they made some very interesting choices as far as the development and presentation of the main character, Master Chief John 117. Now, even though we view the character and the world through the lens of a first-person shooter. One thing that Bungie and then 343 Industries did was really build up the history and the lore of what is happening in this world. Why is there an alien force trying to exterminate humanity, which dates back to like millions of years ago and decisions that were made in the galaxy by ancient races? It all becomes a very interesting and impactful world. And... Master Chief is the character which whom we experience this world. You know who the character is. You know his mindset. You know what his choices would be. When it came to the TV show, now true, they're not wanting it to be just week after week of a guy in a green suit of armor shooting up aliens. Because one, who has the budget for that? And two, that would get really old really fast for a lot of viewers. Build the world up build up the other characters who are in this besides him because there are quite a few. The problem is that with as they presented the character, they did so in a way that I felt wasn't true to the core character himself. How do I want to explain this? In the games, uh, you find out about his history, all of these things he's done. As the, the character, you do a lot of the great things. And then when we get to the TV show, it's just a tell-not-show type of thing. Oh, it's oh, Master gotcha. Chief. He's the number one enemy of this alien force. He's saved thousands of people, and he's done this. But, mm. oh, oh no, all of a sudden, now he's deciding that he's going to act contrary to that nature. Even though they give a reason for it, it's not believable. It feels very sudden. He starts acting in a way contrary to that. And because we haven't had the long buildup and the familiarity with the character of the deeds he's done, witnessing his accomplishments, it feels forced and fake. Frankly, it felt kind of soap opera-ish. See, I, in terms of watching Halo, 
I really felt like I had a great experience watching it the first time around when it was red versus blue machinima. So I just have no <laughs> no desire to touch that. I've basically been watching it. I'm finishing out the first season with the hopes that there will be a season two and that they will start to get some things right. Hope springs eternal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, someone out there hoped for three seasons of Harry and the Hendersons and they got their wish fulfilled. <laughs> I never had any any real connection to Halo. I never, I played probably a grand total of maybe half an hour of it over my lifetime. So I saw there was a show coming. I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't think there was enough plot there to make a TV show, but I never really played it. So what do I know? I mean, mm-hmm. is there enough plot to make a League of Legends TV show? Oh, wait, Arcane. <laughs> Which I did actually finally watch. Oh my gosh. Did and you like it? You can say no. I was I was not sold on the first episode, the first maybe two episodes, and then it, everything changed, and I actually did turn out to to like it quite a bit. Yeah, that's one that's been on my two watch list. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later. I need to get on that. Yeah, it's amazing. Not with the kids. Well, <laughs> my kids. Know. Yeah, but not yours. So, is there any other concluding thoughts? Um, is there a happy note that we want to to end this on with with nostalgic media? Francisco, Paul J. Powers, please don't sue us. But you know what? I think that they've kind of nailed it. If you like something before and you want to watch it again, you still enjoy it, then do so. If it's not quite what you experienced from when you watched it when you were younger, that's okay too. It's not that it has changed. You have changed and your likes and tastes change. Quick story. I mean, when I was in college, a local video store was going out of business. So me and a friend went there to see what VHS tapes we could grab, and I found a copy of the Mask TV show that had four oh episodes on it. Yeah, I'm like, heck yeah, I'm getting this. About that in ages. I'm like, for two bucks, I'm absolutely grabbing this. And you know what? I enjoyed it some. Um, <laughs> you enjoyed it enough. That's fine. I I enjoyed two dollars two dollars worth. worth. That's exactly. I right. mean, I, that's fair. I have no idea where that vhs tape is anymore and that's okay because i got my two dollars worth out of it and um, do you even have a way to play a vhs tape anymore no absolutely not (laughs) so i liked it for what it was and i was like okay two bucks not gonna watch it again and i never did and that's okay if we watch something that we watched earlier and we don't like it anymore there's no reason to feel guilty about it they're not going to stop pumping out nostalgic based media People who grew up at the same time that we did are now a lot of the people in charge of what is being made. So we can't expect it for quite a while. And some of it's going to be really good. Some of it is going to be like what we said, a nostalgic cash grab. I view it the way I view everything else. I'm going to enjoy what I enjoy. And if I see it and I just don't want to watch it or I don't enjoy it, then that's that for me. Yeah. I don't think I necessarily want them to stop making the the nostalgic films and we can call it a cash grab, but nobody makes media to lose money. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that nostalgia is hard to hit because it is so subjective as to what what gravitated us towards to begin with. So just like you said, yeah, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, that's also OK. I mean, some I mean, of Woody it's Allen be... makes movies to lose money. <laughs> Some of it is just going to be so-so. Some of it's going to be like, oh, wow, I wish they had never made this. This is horrible. And then others are going to be like the Netflix He-Man series, and it's just going to nail it all so perfectly. You can't all be He-Man. 
How did we get through the nostalgia done well and not talk about that He-Man series? Well, you just did. <laughs> no, honestly, we talked about it enough in an earlier episode. We did a lot. <laughs> well, was there any other points or bits of nostalgia that we wanted to address? We could probably talk for another hour, but let's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, that's going to lead us to the zombie apocalypse plan of the week. Which zombie movie from those days, uh, Romero or whomever, are we going to look to to save us today? Gosh dang it, James, you stole my zombie apocalypse strategy of the week. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that I didn't want to deal with with zombies for the the strategy of this week. I just wanted to look at the zombie apocalypse strategies of yesteryear and lock ourselves in a mall. (laughs) I did not see that. I'm I'm serious. (laughs) Well, there you go. Now it is what it is. Now we're all locked in a mall. Although I do want to point out that that never ends well, usually for the people in the mall. That never. Okay, look, no, it never did end well. But <laughs> uh, you know, zombie movies never really do end all that great. So you know, that's fine. Unless it's a zombie movie about reincarnated Japanese schoolgirls brought back I, as a music team. I mean, that music is a group. best case scenario, <laughs> especially if you're a zombie. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for us this episode. I want to thank everyone for listening in. Make sure you check us out at all the usual places at geekatarms.com, at facebook.com slash geekatarms. Mike, what's our Twitter? We are armsgeek on Twitter. Give us a like if you would. Leave us a review. It does help the podcast, and we would appreciate it. And as always, from Brian, Mike, and James, be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome.